We're, uh, I want to share with you a couple of words that I think will be the most positive, negative message you've ever heard in your life. I'm going to tell you three things I don't want you to do, and you're going to love that I'm telling you to not to do these things, and you're going to be so encouraged by the time you leave today. That's a challenge probably only Jesus could meet, but I'm going to try, okay? So, you ready to get started today? Let's talk to the men of our church, and specifically fathers, but the men of our church. You know, it is a healthy child that grows into a healthy teenager that wants to have autonomy in their life. They want to start making the decisions that guide and direct where they go, what they do, what they're involved with, what they avoid. Now, when children are young, we call those dreams. When they become teenagers, we call those desires dangerous. But every child who's healthy has those desires to guide and direct their lives. And teenagers begin to act on them. And early adults should act on them. And when early adults are not acting on those desires, we call that arrested development. That's for some of you today that know what I'm talking about. It is a healthy child who has that. And so as we look at becoming adults and and growing into maturity, it's about making decisions about what we do and what we don't do. It's about guiding and directing our lives, whether we're going to serve God or not, whether we're going to go to college or not, what kind of a job we're going to have, whether we're going to get married, whether we're going to have children. All of those decisions are in every person's heart as they grow, and that is really a sign of health. And there are many decisions that men must make. Males do not have to make very many decisions because males, it's all about themselves. Males are different than men. There's only two things necessary to be a male. You remember what those are? They both begin with the letter P, and the first one is a pulse. The second one is something you're going to have to figure out all by yourself. When we go to make those decisions and we're trying to progress forward, there's kind of a sequence that we go through. First is the realization, a thought. I wonder if I should proceed toward. We have this realization, this thought, this idea, this opportunity, and we're saying, I wonder if, but that leads to an estimation or a calculation. We begin to estimate, is it worth it? Is what I'm going to have to go through worth the end result, or the reward, if you will, which then leads us to one of two things. Number one is procrastination. We go, well, you know, maybe one day. Maybe one day I'll pursue. Maybe one day I'll go for it. That's one thing that those two things can lead us to, realization, to estimation, to procrastination, but it can also lead us to confrontation. If we're going to reach the goal, if we're going to make those decisions and move forward in our lives, we're going to have to be confrontational. We're going to have to confront our calendar, our priorities, our budget, our ego. There's a lot of other things that we're going to need to confront in order to reach our goals. And so we go through that cycle all the time, constantly. We're assessing, we're we're trying to realize what is it that's important and what is it that's not important. And it's always a shame when we underestimate the things that are important. In Luke chapter 11, verse 32, Jesus said this. He said, Woe to the Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, 
but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. And what he's saying is you have rightly estimated tithing, but you have underestimated justice and the love of God. You've rightly estimated certain things, but you've underestimated other things. Maturity is when we realize what we're overestimating, rightly estimating, and underestimating. And we begin to make adjustments. When we realize that we're putting too much stock into something, we, we pull it back. When we realize, hey, I'm not putting enough time and effort into that, we pump it up. That's called maturity. I want you to turn your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter number 5. And we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's instruction to the church at Ephesus, in this town of Ephesus. The Apostle Paul is being used by God to write a letter to them, and he really is talking about the family, and he's very specific about husbands and wives and even children. So we're in Ephesians chapter number 5, and this is um, um, very specific there toward the family. So let's begin reading there verse number 21, and he says, Submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Can we say... Those first four words, submit to one another. Let's say it together. Submit to one another. Vitally important for maturity. You see, the immature person says, I'll submit to no one. The immature person says, I am the captain of my ship. I make my own decisions. I answer to no one. That's the immature person. But the mature person says, I need to have a submission. I need to, to listen to the people around me and allow them to affect my life in a positive manner. We also need to reject those who are trying to affect us in a negative manner. Let's keep reading. Verse number 22 says, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, who no one would ever hate their own body, but they feed and care for their bodies just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word today. We receive it into our hearts and lives. 
Help us, Father, to be affected and adjusted by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I told you I was going to share some things with you that I don't want you to do, and it's going to be positive. You ready to get started? Here we go. First thing I don't want you to do, men, is to underestimate your importance. Men today have the tendency to underestimate just how important the role of being a man is and the person within that role. The uh, news media and the sitcoms and all that are not giving us any help. Uh, there's a, just this attack on the image of the family, period, and you can pick and choose uh, all of the members of the family that, is being, that are being attacked. Uh, women are being downgraded constantly uh, by shows and movies and so forth. Men are being downgraded. But we need to understand that we are important to the structure of our families, to the structure of the church, and to the structure of our community. Men... Here's my encouragement for you found in chapter 5, verse 24. Live a life that's worthy of your wife's submission. thought I might get a feminine amen out of that, but that's okay. <laughs> Men, if we want our wives to submit to us, let's give them something to submit to. Let's give them leadership and character and integrity and quality. Let's give them something that they don't find in the world, but something that they do find in us, the nature of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit and guided by God's Word. In other words, men, you're worth more than just someone to kill spiders around the house. Okay, You have more importance than that. In his uh, book, Faith of the Fatherless, The Psychology of Atheism, Paul Fitz was on a quest to find out, he himself an atheist, was on a quest to find out, is there a common denominator in the quote-unquote famous atheist of the past? Is there some type of commonality that causes these men to become atheists and the um, outspoken, even militant atheist that they were? And so he began to look in history to try and find a common denominator, and he found one thing that was the common denominator in these quote-unquote famous atheists of the past 400 years. And this is what he says. They all have a defective relationship with their fathers who were either dead, absent, weak, abusive, or who abandoned them. Even in one description of the book, it says this. A biographical survey of influential atheists of the past four centuries shows that this defective father hypothesis provides a consistent explanation of the intense atheism of these thinkers. The survey of the leading defenders of Christianity over the same period of time confirms the hypothesis, finding few defective fathers. When fathers do not care for their families, they are providing the breeding ground for resentment against God, many times leading to a rejection of God. Because if God is our Father, and the Father that I have experienced are the same, I really don't want anything to do with Him. His... Um, Writings in this book, he looks at many different atheists of the past 400 years. We'll just point out five of them. Frederick Nietzsche, who was alive in the 19th century, actually died in 1900. 
uh, coined the poem, God is dead, that phrase and that poem. And his father died, though a Lutheran pastor, his father died when Frederick was five years old, leading Frederick then to be influenced by other men who were not godly. And he wrote several manifestos or books and writings of which influenced Mussolini. Mussolini gave a hand, hand delivered a copy of Nietzsche's book to Adolf Hitler. And it is believed that that was somewhat the straw that broke the camel's back or the, 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 the one last input into Hitler that caused all the havoc in the 1930s and 1940s in Europe. His writings also affected the Columbine high school murderers. So very prominent atheist, his father died when he was five, and he was influenced by other men. Bertram Russell, his father died when he was four. He was raised by a puritanical grandmother. David Hume and Jean-Paul Sartre, both of them were two years old when their father died. Sigmund Freud despised his father so much because he was weak, perverted, and unable to provide for the family. Fathers, I want to share with you for a moment, you have been given the specific responsibility to be the head of the house. That is a God-given responsibility. You are called to be the leader and not the dictator. To be the one who leads but isn't like, y'all worship me, y'all just do whatever I say. The leader, not the dictator. You're the decision maker and not the follower. You're the skilled negotiator and not a yes man. If you need some help with negotiation, read Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. You're to be the family builder and not a destroyer. You're to teach the children and not allow the children to lead the family. We live in a society in which the children are being allowed to lead. No wonder we're slightly messed up. I was watching, uh, this is a couple years ago, and sometimes about maybe once or twice a week, I'd turn on the morning program on television to just kind of get to find out what's going on in the world, which is usually depressing. And, um, and so they were going to do this, uh, this thing on, uh, they went to a rural town in Texas, and they wanted to do this, this segment on the, the gender differences and, and all the changes in the genders. <laughs> I even have a tough time just saying that. And so they interviewed these 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds. Oh, yeah, if you're born a boy, that doesn't really mean you're a boy. You can be a girl if you want to be a girl. If you're born a girl, you can want to be a boy. It doesn't really matter. There's 2,200 genders now. So they interviewed all these kids, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. Then they interviewed their parents. And their parents were, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm laughing because I don't want to cry. Their parents, their parents were basically saying, yeah, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about that. And I was really learning a lot from my 13-year-old. I had to go to the Internet and find out what was really happening. And I thought to myself, how awful it must be to be raised by parents who are clueless. Absolutely clueless. I always thought that the 40-year-olds were supposed to teach the 13-year-olds, not the other way around. 
Now, if you, if you want your cell phone fixed, give it to your 12-year-old. But on matters that matter, you don't let your 12-year-old teach you. You teach the 12-year-old. When the 12-year-old comes home from school and says, hey, Dad, I got, a, I got something great to tell you. A boy can be a girl. You're like, son, let's sit down. Let's have a talk. I want to share. Y'all, y'all just clammed up on me right then, man. You just went, he is really saying this? There is an attack on the family. And part of it is because fathers are asleep either at the wheel, behind the wheel, or they've just abandoned the car altogether. Fathers, all of your decisions will not make your children happy. All of your decisions won't even make your wife happy. All of your decisions won't even make you happy. But you're the man. You the man. Okay? We got to act like men. Not a dictator. We're leaders. We're in a unique position. And God's called us to have wisdom and use wisdom. To have strength and use strength. We cannot underestimate our importance within the family. Fathers are indispensable. No one can take your place. I... I, I, I Feel for and think about uh, single moms, tough job. And many of them are in that situation because they just are, and there's, it's not their fault, so to speak. I, I feel for them. But nobody can take the place of a father. It's, you are indispensable to the family. Well, the second thing that I don't want you to do is underestimate your influence. Don't ever underestimate the power that you have to influence your family, and particularly your children. In chapter 5, verse 31, we call that the leave and cleave. You're supposed to leave the father and mother and cleave to your wife. We are connected absolutely, entirely, 100%. There was a decision that Lisa and I made before we were married, and I know a lot of other people have made that decision, and maybe it didn't turn out so well, but we made a decision. Divorce is not an option. We made that decision. We made that determination. Uh, I tried to get her to take murder off the table, but she left that. She... <laughs> so we are still happily married because I like life. I want to live. Fathers rely on three different means of leading their family. Number one is power. Number two is position. And number three is persuasion. The power you have over your children will evaporate before you even realize it's gone. There's a time period in a day in which you are the crane of the family. That little toddler, you just go over and you just grab him by the back of the shirt and you pick him up and you pull him over and you put him in the crib. Okay? You just have power. But that power evaporates usually before you realize it's evaporated. The second one is that of the position. Those are the fathers who say, I am the father, and you will do what I say because I'm the father. Well, that works for a short period of time, and then that evaporates too. You still have to play that card. It just doesn't work as effectively during some years. But there is persuasion. Persuasion will lead your children in the direction they should go for them. Not for your comfort, but for them, for their health, for their security, for their future. 
The best form of persuasion is example. I can't live one way, tell my kids to live another way, and expect a great result. We've got to persuade our children by giving them an example. And this is where we, we can become, we can have the feeling of very, being very inadequate because we recognize we're not perfect. We make mistakes. If you talk to any fathers of any age, I've got children that are grown, and whether their children like turned out wonderful or whether their children are kind of on the side there, they will tell you, hey, I made a lot of mistakes. I'm, I'm, I did a lot of things wrong. But the one thing that is so important is that we are persuading our children for their good and not for ours. They are not there for us. We are there for them. In history, there have been three offices that have influenced people throughout generations and throughout societies and cultures, and that is the prophet, priest, and king. And you are called to be all three of those in your home. You're called to be the prophet, to read God's word and hear from God, and to be able to, with gentle strength, say to your family, this is what is right and this is what is wrong. Based on God's word, this is right and this is wrong. I don't care what society says. This is right and this is wrong. I don't care what anybody says. This is right. This is wrong. That's your responsibility. You're called to say this is best and this is not best. This is where we're going to stay. This is where we're going to go. This is how we're going to do it. That is your responsibility. Not as the dictator, but as the prophet who says, I've prayed, I've studied God's word, and I'm here to share with you what God wants you to know. That is your responsibility. Secondly is that of a priest. A priest is to administer the grace of God in his home. The priest is the one who says, we're going to pray. The priest is the one who says, hey, kids, gather around. Let's read God's word. You don't have to be a you know, a, a Bible scholar and have a PhD in, in Bible study. You just need to say, this is God's word, and I want to instill it into your life. And the last is out of a king. You are to be the king of your home. I know that makes a couple of people nervous. Just hang in there. I'm, I haven't lost my mind. You're to be the king of your home. And any king that is a good king is a good king because he is a servant leader. What does a good king do? He says, what is best for the people? And he serves the people, and that's how he leads them. Because he's always concerned with what's best for the people. And of course, every smart and wise king will always go to his queen for some advice. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in there. You don't, you don't just go into a closet and come out and say, I have the law of God for our family. You better talk to your queen. You better get her on board first. If you can't get her on board, you're in trouble. Go back into your closet and pray some more. And read Chris Voss's book about negotiations. But anyway, that's a free plug for Chris Voss. If you'll be the prophet, priest, and king of your home with gentle strength, with humble confidence, you will see your children make mistakes, and you will see your children thrive. You will see yourself make mistakes, and your wife make mistakes, and you together make mistakes, and you'll still see your kids flourish and grow because God is in the mix, 
and you're doing it God's way. Uh, I mean, the Today Show can't really help you be a great father, but the Word of God can. We're good with that? Lastly, not leastly, do not underestimate your investment. The Word tells us there in chapter 6 and verse 4 that we should not provoke our children to anger or, or uh, exasperate them, just, just, to, just to enrage them. We enrage them when we say one thing and do another. We enrage them and provoke them to anger when we are hypocritical. There's a difference between somebody who makes a mistake and a hypocrite. A hypocrite, it's intentional. A mistake is accidental. You're going to make mistakes. I made plenty of mistakes. I want to share with you, fathers, get involved with your children. Influence them. You know the best way to influence your children? Send your wife on a, a weekend away with her sisters or the girlfriends or whoever. Okay, make box macaroni and cheese for your kids. Get in the living room, clear all the furniture back, cover all the sharp edges, and have WrestleMania. Greatest thing you could do. That's how you influence your children. Yep, let them hit you. Let them hurt you, and then hurt them back. <laughs> you got to teach empathy somehow, you know. Have fun with your kids, you know, whatever they like, take them fishing, karate, whatever they like, do it because that's powerful. That's influencing them and say, man, we, you like this, let's go for it then. We'll, we'll, we'll do what we can. You can go overboard, don't do that, but just go for it. Let's go. Allow them to be influenced by having fun, enjoyment, have a great time. I remember our kids got involved in, in, on the swim team. I found out a new definition for the word eternity. It's called a swim meet. Man, I was painting houses at that time. I spent all day long climbing 40-foot ladders up and down all day long. I get home, my legs are burning. Then they want me to be a stroke-and-turn judge. That's the guy that stands there with a clipboard telling a little kid, Hey, little kid, you did that wrong. You're eliminated. Get out of the pool. Well, you don't really say that, but you just check them off and go, Why did I volunteer for that? I was participating in my kids' activities. That's how you influence them. I say, man, if you want to do it, let's go for it. You want to fish? Fish. Let's fly fish. Let's whatever you like to do. Chess, backgammon, whatever it is. I want to influence you. Let's have some fun together. Now, you're going to get, have to do some things that you're uncomfortable with, dads. There's a, you have a sweet spot. You have your default. You have what you like. You're going to have to get out of that comfort zone and do some things that your kids want to do. And you guys are doing it. I, I, I see it. But I'm just encouraging you, you're going the right path. Get involved in, in your kid's life. Make an investment. When we think about investment, and many times we think about money. And the Bible has a lot to say about money. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food in olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Proverbs 13.22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Your family is your greatest investment and will bring your greatest reward. Your family is your greatest investment. But what are you pouring into 
your family? What are you pouring into your kids? Is it just simply, let's get, get through this life? Hey, let's get them to their activity and get them home and get them bathed and get them to bed. Man, I, I, I've been there. One time our children were all three involved in different things, different sports or different activities. I thought we were all going to die that summer. I thought Lisa and I were going to die of exhaustion and we are just going to take the kids out with us. And it's like, you know, I'm so frustrated. You know, there's no sleep. There's no time for enjoyment for us. It was just go, 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 go. And that's when I had to be the prophet, priest, and king of the home. And I had to make a rule. And I said, you can do anything, but you're not going to do everything. You can play any sport. You can tap, dance, you can ballet, you can horseback ride. You do whatever you want to do, but you get choice. Choose one, because we're not going to die in our 30s. <laughs> we don't want to leave you as orphans. See, I was just thinking about the kids. What, what kind of deposits are you making into your family? I would, I would suggest these things to you, and then we're going to bring this to a close. First off is the Word of God. Are you, are you implementing, are you depositing the Word of God into your children's life? We're not talking about being a Bible teacher. We're not talking about being a professor of theology. We're simply saying, hey, let's read a couple of Proverbs today. How does that speak to us? What can we learn from that? You don't, you don't have to have a program. This is preaching. Sunday morning's preaching. That's totally different than what you do at your house. With your kids, you, you just read a verse or two. It's just get them going in the right direction. Then as they get older, it, it can morph and change. But are you making a deposit of God's Word into your family? I, would, I guess I would first ask, are you making the deposit of God's Word into your own life? Because what's going to go in you is also going to come out to your children. And you know, in those moments when you really don't know what to do, and you're going to be faced with that. You young fathers, you're going to be faced with those situations where you're going like, man, I'm not prepared for this. Because this kid's doing something. He didn't get that from my genetics. That came from my wife. He's doing, that's, I don't understand this. Why is, why is he acting this way? You know, and you look at your wife and you go, that came from you. You're faced with something you don't know what to do. But God's word in you begins to flow out to them. And it's like healing security. It's foundational. It gives the answer. So get the Word of God in you and then give it out to your children. The second thing would be prayer. Fathers, pray for your family and with your family. Uh, right now, a couple of men are going like, ah, are you kidding me? I'm not comfortable with that. Possibly, if you're not comfortable with it, it's because you didn't see it when you were a child. You didn't experience that when you were a child. Well, I would say this. Um, are, are you just, in, in no disrespect to your father, but are you just going to follow what your father did? Or are you going to be your man? You're going to be God's man, the, what he wants you to do. I'm not some, some five-minute prayer. I'm saying, God, bless our family. Bless my son. Give him a great night's sleep and a great day at school. Lord, bless my son today when he's going to school. God, bless him. That's a prayer. Go for it. Start there. That's great. You know what, you know what your son is getting, what your daughter's getting? Because you're like, he, my dad, he's praying for me. He's talking to God Almighty for me. Let me tell you something. You're, you just grew right there in that child's eyes. I mean, all of a sudden, you become big. You, you become grand because you simply prayed for your child. 
It's powerful. So, so pray. Pray for your children. Thirdly is give them vision. What vision are you giving to your children? We had a friend years ago, it's a long time ago, and um, she had children. And it was so funny. She would, she would say, yeah, you love me now, but when you turn 13, you won't even have anything to do with me. I was like, oh, why are you saying that? Don't tell your children that they're going to rebel against you. It's just an idea. It's just a suggestion. Okay? So you know what? Life's good, and we're always going to be together. We're always going to be fabulous and great. And Man, I love you, and you love me. You're always going to love me. Put that into their heart. What vision are you giving your children? Are you telling them they can do anything but not letting them climb a tree? Honey, you can do anything. You're amazing. You're awesome. Just, you're, you're fabulous. Can I ride my bike without my training wheels? No, you might get hurt. You, you got to choose one. He, they, they're either awesome and they can do anything or they can't. You got to choose one of those. So you got to take the training wheels off, off the bike. you got to take the training wheels so they can either succeed or fail. Succeed or fail. Succeed or Okay. All right, move on, Chris. They're not getting it. <laughs> Tell them how awesome they are, and then let them go for it, and they're going to surprise you with success. Third, fourthly is time. Children spell t- love time. T-I-M-E, that's how they spell it. When you you give time to your children, they equate that with love. If you give time to them, you love them. That's how they see it. There's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So invest time into your children. And and, uh, your words, your words. Yes, God's word, but your words. Tell them they're amazing. Tell them they're awesome. Tell them they're great. And also tell them when they're wrong. Be able to say, hey, son, that, we don't do that. Son, that wasn't good. Okay, come on, let's go. Let's do it right. Let's do it the right way. Your words of affirmation and your words of correction are the very things that are going to mold them and shape them. And when all of this component gets pulled together, none of us are perfect. We can't do it all together. All of these components pull together because the Spirit of God is within us pulling that together and building the family. There, there are young men here today who are feeling like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Possibly you didn't have a good father example, and you're, you're saying, I want to be a good father. I've, I've seen what it's like to not have one, but I want to be a good father. And, but you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you, employing you, everything. Connect with people who are older than you, some men that are older than you, who can give you some advice, who can help you who you can go to and say, hey, look, I'm facing this problem. What do I do? They'll tell you. They'll help you. They want to help you, okay? We don't want our mistakes to go down the drain and nobody else benefit from them. We want you to learn from our mistakes. Is that good? So get together with somebody. But some of you are older fathers and and you're saying like, man, I did everything I could. I I brought my kids to church. Yeah, I wasn't perfect, but I, I did the best I possibly could. And now... My, my child's going left or going right, and, and I don't understand that. And, and we got to know the God's timing in this. If, God, if you place God's word in them, that, it's going to turn them around. Believe that with all my heart. 
that this is not the end of the story. Today is not the end. There's time. And, and we're praying, God, pull them back. Pull God, bring them back around. And we're praying for those children who are a little left, a little right, a little wayward. And parents, fathers, you know, if you raise your kids and maybe one of them just kind of went haywire, well, that's, it's okay. God is still God. You're, the word is still in them. Still trust God. Don't give up. And do not let Satan tell you you were a terrible father. Don't let Satan tell you that you failed. If you did the best you could and you followed God as best you knew how, God honors the heart more than he honors just the behavior. 